Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here to announce that NDC is back in Copenhagen, March 14th to 16th at DGIBN. It's two days of workshops and a one-day conference, so go to ndcmini.com to learn more. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're still in London. You've been listening to us from London for a while now, yeah, huh? Yeah, a few couple a few of weeks shows. anyway. Yeah. And uh, we're at NDC, the NDC conference. They do one in London every year. And it's, uh, I don't know, what is this, four years, five years that we've been in London? Yeah, I think this is probably the fifth year for London. First time yeah. here in Westminster as opposed yeah. to being out in Docklands. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, we've been going to NDC since... Well, 2008? Yeah. yeah. It's been so, many years. Yeah, to, to the Oslo show, but it was in the old venue and stuff. Like, It's grown a lot yeah. over the years. It's fun to do shows in person, I think, yeah. once in a while. You got to get us out of the uh, studio. Well, it's been great to visit with the listeners. Lots mm. of folks coming up to the door and saying yep. hi. So it's been, it's always, it's a pleasure. Yep. Well, uh, I got something really kind of spooky for oh, you. Spooky? Today. So roll it's the music. Not October. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? So this is a story that came out of The Verge um, in December, around the end of the year. Some Sonos and Bose speakers are being hijacked to play ghostly sounds. (laughs) Oh, of course, they're Wi-Fi speakers, right? Yeah, researchers at Trend Micro have found that certain models of Sonos and Bose speakers have vulnerabilities that leave them open to hijacking, as reported by Wired. The accessible speakers are being exploited by hackers that are using them to play spooky sounds, Alexa commands, <laughs> and Rick Astley tracks. <laughs> Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it goes on and there's more details, but I think that's enough. Oh, though the evil one here is smashing glass oh. in the middle of the night. That's so mean. It's mean. It'd be terrifying. Would be. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And we don't have cats. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, you're right. Know. Every time there's a crash in my house, it's the flipping cat. Well, I grew up with cats. I don't have cats now, but I grew up with, like, we had right. seven, I think, at one time. Oh, my goodness. And I, the cats, when they wanted to go out at night, would walk up and down the piano. Oh, wow. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 And it works. <laughs> what the heck is going on out there? Source of many nightmares. So that's what I got. Uh, who's talking to us today, Richard? Very cool. Grabbed a comment off of show 1316, the one we did with Jennifer Marsman, back at NDC in Oslo 2016, talking about lie detection using Azure machine learning. That w- Talk about eerie. Yeah. That, that was, was kind of creepy. Little, little creepy tie in there, the emotive headset to do EEG monitoring. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen this. No. Particularly, but Jennifer put it on her husband. Oh wow! <laughs> and asked him questions, and then asked him subject. questions, and watched how his brain waves reacted, <laughs> and with the machine learning models could tell if he was telling the truth or not. That is super cool. Th- that is challenging a marriage <laughs> in a way. I think it takes a certain level of confidence to pull that off. 
And John Suda says, uh, and this is about from about a year ago. Hey, guys, thanks for the great episode. At one point in the show, you talk about a situation where, simply put, a machine learning algorithm recommended increased police attention to ethnic neighborhoods. Jennifer said this was happening because the input was biased, and Richard said that it might be a case of self-fulfilling prophecy. I believe that, in reality, the algorithm simply discovered a correlation with no underlying causation exists. After all, correlation does not imply causation is a mantra from Statistics 101. Social scientists will agree that the correlation between ethnicity and crime rates does indeed exist. Just look at the number of incarcerated African Americans or indigenous people in Canada. Very high, relatively speaking. And again, this is the point I was making at the time is yeah. it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you incarcerate a lot of people yeah. and then use data to show, well, we incarcerate a lot of people. Right. right? The question is, are there reasonable incarcerations? The And this battle of bias over machine data is... Yep. hugely important. Yeah. Uh, John goes on to say, unless you're a white supremacist or racist, hopefully you don't believe that ethnicities are somehow inherently criminal. Yeah. Because that would be a bias now, wouldn't it? Uh, I wonder if this represents the fundamental limitations of many of these algorithms. They're good at untangling complex relationships between variables, way better than traditional statistical methods, but they can't always conclusively tell whether links are causal in nature. The bottom line, in my opinion, is you still need a human being to perform a qualitative critical analysis of whatever the algorithm spits out. The uh, Freakonomics guys showed that it was poverty that was the major factor in people who commit crimes. If you're going to no go down the crime path. What ethnicity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And again, it's, you know, we create circumstances where people are constantly in need. They will find ways to deal with need. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's, and I, you know, challenged John here. This is a comment from over a year ago. You mm. think in the past year, year and a half, how much conversation we're now having around machine learning and right. cultural uh, biases. Like, that these, yes. you know, we've always said this, computers are only amplifiers. Yeah. And so they you know, are going to amplify our intelligence or they're going to amplify our stupidity. Mm -hmm. And they're certainly going to amplify our biases. Mm. So I think in some ways, the fact that this is on the tips of our tongues, that we are talking about this, is the best thing we could possibly do. Agreed. We're never going to get rid of our bias. But if we can at least acknowledge it and make sure that it isn't amplified by our technology. And we'll we can compensate off. for it. Yeah. In some way, and I'm not going to say it's easy, it's going to be an ongoing process, but if we don't talk about it, we're never going to get anywhere. True. So, John, thank you so much for your comment. The .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there or read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. Definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We make Alexa say them on our mother's Bose speakers. That's really creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let me uh, introduce our esteemed guest today. Keisha Williams is a software engineer with over 20 years experience specializing in web application development. In addition to being a software engineer for Chick-fil-A, she trains and mentors thousands of software developers in the US, Europe, and Asia while teaching at the University of California. She's authored courses on Java, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and augmented reality. Did her summer internship with the National Security Agency and most recently won the Think Different Innovation Award from Chick-fil-A for her work on investigating how emerging technologies and AI can enhance restaurant operations and customer experiences. In her spare time, she leads the Georgia chapter of Technovation, speaks at technical conferences across the country, including NDC, and serves as a mentor with the New York Academy of Sciences and conducts free hour of code workshops for children at her local library, 
somewhere in there you've got to sleep. <laughs> I definitely do not get the recommended eight hours of sleep there at night. I, I've given up on that dream. <laughs> wow. That's a but lot also of working on things you really want to work yes, on, which is yes. the best way to be distracted. I, definitely. I could appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to give you an open-ended chance to just start wherever you want. I mean, there's all of these so things much sound to talk awesome, about. Keisha. There is a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Where do I start? Do you want to dive in on this bias conversation? Like just a, this. Sure. I think it's it's a huge part of machine learning now. That, right. And, 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 you know, as I said, kudos to John who wrote that 18 months ago. Right. When it wasn't as talked about as it is today. Right. It's definitely still an issue. It's probably going to be an ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. When we talk about machine learning, it's, it's a very hot topic right now. Sure. Yeah. And definitely machine learning is really the next wave of transformative technology that's going to change society in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Mm. And so my talk was about machine learning and how to build models using Amazon. Right. And there is a portion at the end of my talk where I highlight machine bias. For me, I created this predictive policing machine learning algorithm. Just think pre-crime from Mm. Minority Report. Right. And his name is Sam. So Sam stands for Suspicious Activity Monitor. Interesting. Wow. And anyone walking down the street can talk to Sam through Twitter. So you take a picture, you tweet it to Sam. He then uses computer vision to pull attributes from the photo, like age, gender, um, he gets additional information from the tweet, like location, time of day, hmm. um, day of week, month. All of these, I guess, attributes can, you can find pattern, crime patterns in that hmm. data. Interesting. And so he takes that and sends it to his machine learning brain that then spits out a prediction um, that represents the likelihood of crime. So yes, a crime is about to occur or no. Right. And if it's yes, he'll send a tweet back to the user that says you need to run for your life you know, or, <laughs> wow. you're sa- or you're safe. Right. So all that to say when I created and trained the model Sam, I intentionally excluded race. Because I did not want Sam to be accused of racial profiling. Sure. And I know it's it's a very um, prevalent issue in the United States. Yeah. Hot-button topic. Yeah. Right. And so as the developer, I made the decision to exclude race, mm-hmm. to at mm-hmm. least have that portion of him be bias-free and... And this is just something I say to all developers. We have a moral obligation um, just to make sure that what we develop and what we use machine learning for, that it's really bias-free and it doesn't impact or destroy someone's yeah. life. Don't amplify yeah. those those flaws in ourselves, right. really. I, and it, isn't it interesting that that's where we are as developers now, that we have to have moral conversations right. about how we use technology? I think, and right. that requires you to sort of come up with the scenarios that could happen mm-hmm. based on what the technology can do uh, and what you're allowing it to do. So before you implement feature X, you really do have to sort of sit down and think about all the permutations of how it could be used right. for, for good or ill, right? Right. And I put that on the developer, the mm-hmm. person who's actually building it. Mm. So the company that asks you to build this predictive policing machine learning algorithm may not think about the bias and things like that. So really, it's the developer who has yeah. to yeah. bring that 
to light and make it a conversation that people talk about. Yeah. And I've done some ethics talks around AI. And when I bring up Grayball, this is the, the Uber tech, yeah. uh, the very sneaky piece of software that was hiding itself from regulators and hiding itself from Apple and yeah. spying on its drivers and so forth. And, yeah. it, and I think it was Grady Booch who actually came out and says, I'm not that angry that Uber wrote this. I'm angry that developers coded it. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And, and my counter argument right. to that is we do know about it. So right. maybe someone wasn't able to refuse to make it, right. but they were willing to leak it. So right. at least that we knew that mm. this evil piece of software right. was out in the world. Yeah. But, uh, I, yeah, you know, I've, I've written code for 40 years, literally 40 years now. And I've never been in a time where ethics was so prevalent in right. our conversations mm -hmm. right. about technology. Yep. Right. And I guess it's just we've hit a power level. Right. We have the, we have enough power that it's actually hazardous. Right. I'm interested in how uh, your SAM program was used and how has it has been used and has it worked to stop crimes? What's its success so, rate? So SAM is a case study. Okay. And so I always tell people at this point, because of the data that I used to train him, I pulled data from GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Mm -hmm. So SAM works only in the state of Georgia. And I received like the positive records from the GBI. But whenever you create a, tr a machine learning program and you use supervised learning, you have to show the positive records and also the negative records. Right. So this indicates crime. This does not indicate crime. Yeah. And so the negative records I created myself. Hmm. And so, like I said, it's a prototype. Um, it's a case study in a real-world situation. I would want to use real data from, for example, the Atlanta PD. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if anybody out there has a link with the Atlanta PD, please <laughs> let me know. I'd love to have their data to train Sam with. Well, you almost wonder if all that body cam data would be useful. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. There's a lot of good data. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, a, a part of the conversation around machine learning has come to this fact that we now have digitized so much mm -hmm. of human behavior, right. typically through social media, mm -hmm. right. that we have right. the data to train with. Right, right. It's so there might be a bias inherent in what people choose to post to social media, though. Sure. I mean, really, what you need is just random pictures taken for no particular reason and stored yeah. in some place. Well, one would argue using police body cam data would make you oversensitive to crimes. Absolutely. That's a policeman's job. Right. right. Is to be where the trouble is. Did you right. know that that's more true. people <laughs> are will, uh, more apt to die in an ambulance than in a, any other kind of car? Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. So the, that's the, interesting. the thing oh, here is don't ever get a yeah. ride in an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting fact. <laughs> yeah. Like most uh, accidents uh, happen, you know, within five miles of your home. That's yeah. because where you drive the most. Yeah, yeah. oddly enough. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, how long have you been working in this space? Because it, it, you know, oh, it's new and hip. a long time. Yeah. So, so we've all come rushing to years, you. But wow. I've been in IT for 23 years. Wow. And wow. I do, I have the gray hairs to mm, prove that. Mm. But I actually started coding in high school. Nice. I was in the ninth wow. grade. I did not realize at the time it was called coding. Right. I just called it playing with the computer. So my dad purchased a 
a personal computer to do the family finances, and he put it in my playroom. So we had this room that was a playroom slash office. And so I always joke with people. I had Barbie in one hand, and I had a computer manual in the other hand, writing basic programs. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And I'm just very grateful that I had that exposure early on, Mm. because if I didn't, I definitely would not have chosen computer science and Mm. math as my major in college. Yeah, but you, yeah, by the time you were even needing to make that decision, you'd already had these experiences. Yes. yes. You had a very different relationship with with the career that most people are going to have. Yeah. Mm. And he also, in the 11th grade, my father sent me away to a local college. Wow. I attended a summer science enrichment training program. And there they also taught me about computers and about chemistry. Mm. And so after that experience, it really sealed the deal. I'm like, this is it. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. There's nothing else for me. Awesome. And so we did you get involved in the machine learning side early on? No. So this is something fairly new, maybe a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I am a learner, really a lifelong learner, and I love learning new things. And so being in technology, I always have the opportunity to learn something yeah. new. Mm-hmm. And so machine learning is is a very hot topic. And so I I wanted to learn more about Mm -hmm. it and specifically how Amazon machine learning works. And Mm -hmm. so I just, I learn best by doing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I needed to come up with a use case, something that I could build. And I'm a huge science fiction movie fan. And so Minority Report is my favorite movie. I've seen it a billion trillion (laughs) Uh times. Uh And so I started thinking, well, in that movie, they use psychic technology to make crime predictions. Right. So what Mm. technology do we have today? That's machine learning. And so I just went through the process of building SAM and I learned a lot. And then I just wanted to share everything that I'd learned. How did you improve Chick-fil-A? That's got to be a great story. Yeah. So I've been at Chick-fil-A for 13 years. Wow. So a pretty long time. And there are really two parts to my role. So there's what I call the day job and the night job. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the day job, that's the boring. I'm a full stack web developer. I work with Angular and Java and Spring. Mm -hmm. But my night job, I get to lead innovation teams as we research a lot of these cool and emerging technologies Mm. like machine learning. We've done some facial recognition, internet of things. And so that, we just really get to research Mm. and I call it play around and build prototypes, yeah. um, proving out technology. So one team that I led, um, we used Amazon Alexa to provide an easier way for our restaurant operators to access data mm-hmm. and then for customers to find out nutritional information about the Chick-fil-A products. Okay. So we created several Amazon Alexa apps called Skills mm-hmm. and that that was the team that won the Think Different Innovation Award oh, cool. because everyone just thought it was so cool using Alexa to solve some of those business challenges. I, I love it as a B2B product, as something inside of the company is an easy way for the staff to interact and get information. That's I think that's a very – because we always think of it as a B2C play. Right, so right. So they had to use it within a business. Right. Uh, mm. you, do you talk a little bit about that that work? Like what, what were they using it for? Yeah, so our restaurant operators, we built a skill that allows them to get up, up to the minute sales. So okay. what are my breakfast sales? What are my lunch sales? What yeah. are my drive-through sales? That helps them make um, – decisions on the fly. Sure. And then also we created what's called on the clock. 
So restaurant operators wanted to know, like, who's clocked in right now, who's supposed to be clocked in, and they're not clocked in. So just an easier way to access that type of information. And then for the customer, it's more around nutritional information. Like, tell me about the Chick-fil-A sandwich, how many calories, and things like that. Sure. So it was a lot of fun. It's really interesting. I mean, and I'm just considering when you talk about, you know, dollar figures for sales, does it make sense to do it as a, in a voice form or in some kind of digital dashboard? Like, there's different ways. We're to playing around that. with that too. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that was a separate team. They did the this what we call the wall board, mm-hmm. and so it's really up 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 to the minute information that you can see. Yeah, it starts with yeah. gathering up to the information. I love the idea of just being able to walk by and saying to the gizmo. Hey, what were sales this morning? Yeah. And just have that number in your head immediately. Yeah. You, I, I keep thinking in terms of, of a fast food place where you're always on your feet, that actually sitting down to read something or anything is too long, that the voice right. would be the fastest way to go about right. it, but certainly not the only solution. So if sales were down, would you, I don't know, what, at, uh, try to push more milkshakes? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Potentially upsell milkshakes. Upsell. They are delicious, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we even looked at what the – integration between Amazon Alexa and Ford and a lot of like, I believe there's one coming with BMW, just still like you're driving in your car and Mm -hmm. you can talk to Alexa. Mm -hmm. And as a restaurant operator, you can get that Mm -hmm. information, even if you're not in the restaurant. Cool. Yeah. And uh, hold that thought for a minute, Keisha, while we take a pause for a very important message. When you're building an application, you need it to be fast, secure, and always evolving. With Kubernetes Engine on the Google Cloud Platform, developers can deploy fully managed, containerized apps quickly and easily. Google has been running production workloads in containers for over 15 years, and they build the best of what they learn into Kubernetes, the industry-leading open-source container orchestrator. Kubernetes Engine combines automatic scaling, updates, and reliable self-healing infrastructure with open source flexibility to cut down development cycles and speed up time to market. Learn more about Kubernetes Engine online at g.co slash getgke. That's g.co slash getgke. And we're back. You're listening to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, and Keisha Williams is here talking about AI and machine learning and all sorts of cool projects that she's done. Uh, and Amazon Alexa. I mean, uh, Amazon machine learning. There's a lot back there behind Alexa that we don't really know about. We, and our listeners would love to know. Mm-hmm. How's that? Uh, how, how do you approach it? So with Amazon Alexa, well, you first have to figure out what you want to build, like Mm. what value can your skill or your app add. And so once you, that's for me, that's the the hardest problem. Yeah. What are you trying to automate? What business process are you trying to help? But then once you figure that out, the way that Amazon, the way they set up just the whole process of building an app is really easy. It's very straightforward. Mm. So there's a configuration that you do in this front-end developer portal that links to a ba- your back-end, really the brain or the logic behind your skill mm. or your app. And so there are visual tools that help you set that up. Mm-hmm. And so it's really straightforward. I, I don't work for Amazon, but I am a huge fan because there are so many services out there like 
the machine learning, like Alexa and the Lambdas, like the recognition, computer vision and facial recognition. It's just, they're very powerful tools. And they put these tools in the hands of everyday Java developers like myself. Mm -hmm. And you can quickly stand up computer vision and facial recognition. Are they just API calls or web calls? Yeah, you can think of it that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially with machine learning. Once you build your model... So that's the really the brain or the logic behind your machine learning program. You can expose it through um, an endpoint URL. So any application that can make an HTTP call can call out to your model and make a pr- get a prediction. Mm-hmm. How much data science do we have to know in order to use these things effectively? Like, at what level? That is, is the... a very great question. Yeah. So Amazon has many products around machine learning. So if you are new to machine learning, I recommend you start with Amazon machine learning. Mm-hmm. And so that focuses on just supervised learning, the more basic form of machine learning. And there are visualization tools that kind of step you through the process. And behind the scenes, it does all of the heavy lifting for you. So it picks the learning algorithm based on the type of problem you're trying to solve. And all of that is really abstracted away. So if do you're they have, new, do they have templates, for example, that you can use for particular solutions that you might, that people have already done? Or data sets that you can use that may come from free sources? or Not for the Amazon machine learning. No. Um, when, whenever you talk about Alexa and building skills, they have tons of code templates and many mm. different languages. For Amazon machine learning, really you have to have your data already right. and you have to go through the transforming and cleaning process. Mm-hmm. But then once you load it to um, Amazon, typically in an S3 bucket or in Redshift... Mm-hmm. There is basically just a click of a button to generate a model. I understand that, but yeah. you have to know which button to click when. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm well, t- you, the, you just load your data that, and say... All of that is abstracted away, yes. Yeah. So you have your data, you load it into S3, and then through Amazon Machine Learning, you create what's called a data source. Okay. So a data source points to that training mm. data. And then in that data, you have... Because it only supports supervised learning, right. you have to have the labeled data in there showing the positive and negative records. Okay. And then you just click a button that says create ML model. And because you're, you're doing supervised learning with binary yes or no answers, it automatically picks the learning algorithm for you behind the scenes. It, it really abstracts all of that away. I'm just trying to figure out how to translate data into a question and answer, right? How does how does that how, how does it know what question you're asking? Is it just a, are you taking a very simple set of binary data? So, for example, with Sam, mm. so the the data that I load up to Sam, it has all of the attributes that you can find patterns in crime. So, like okay. age, gender, time of day, day of week, month. Right. Um, county, state. And then also in that same data set, there's the target attribute. So I call it crime committed. 
So zero for um, no, one for yes. Okay. And so then when the model sees that data, it knows it's solving a binary yes, no. Okay. Classification problem. So one of those fields is going to be the output. The target. The target that that you're going to query about. Yes. And so Amazon Machine Learning only supports that type, that supervised learning. And what's the, what is the opposite of supervised learning? So there's supervised learning. There's unsupervised learning, and that's the, the ML machine learning that really causes the most buzz right, in right. the industry because the, there the data is not labeled, and it's like the machine is kind of going in blind and has to figure out and cluster and group and segment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. So Amazon machine learning does not support the more complex unsupervised learning. Mm-hmm. But Amazon recently released at reInvent SageMaker. SageMaker. So SageMaker handles more of the, really the unsupervised, more complex type of machine learning. There's also reinforcement learning that falls really in the middle um, uh, between supervised and unsupervised. Mm -hmm. And there is some feedback given to the machine as it's learning. Um, If you're new to machine learning, I highly recommend that you start with something simple like Amazon machine learning. Sure. You get those concepts and you understand how supervised learning works, and then you move up to the big guns, and that's <laughs> SageMaker, where you can use unsupervised learning. Because Amazon's always had sort of a big third-party ecosystem stuff like a CTNK and uh, and TensorFlow, and those are Pretty darn advanced tools. Yes, mm. yes. You know, SearchFlow yes. is a Google tool, and normally you would run it on Google's cloud, which you can run it on Amazon's cloud if you want. Yes, yeah. Do you go down that path? Are you guys, you're happy with the supervised learning for the stuff you've done so far? Well, we've, at Chick-fil-A, we've dabbled more with unsupervised mm. learning. And really just, we have all of these customers and we have our customer data and we wanted to go through the process of figuring out like who are our customers and relationships so, that aren't obvious we used to call right. it data mining yeah back in the day yeah and so we we used unsupervised learning to help us really segment um, our customers so like this group working professionals students mm-hmm. stay-at-home moms and i presume you put the labels on it they yeah the unsupervised learning creates the buckets right goes, well there's, right. A, there's clearly a right. delineation here exactly. and then you can look at it and go well this looks like professionals right and students right yeah and so that's where we actually the end of last year we started playing around um, with unsupervised learning. So we recently opened this innovation lab Mm -hmm. in downtown Atlanta, Uh um, separate from our support center. And so we've partnered with Georgia Tech, which Mm -hmm. is a really good school um, in Georgia. And we really work with interns. So we think of it as Mm, (laughs) year-round interns. Mm -hmm. And so we had four students come in for the first session, and that was one of their projects, and I helped them just through that process with the unsupervised learning. So wow. it was a lot of fun, and it was it was fun to you know step aside, step outside of my normal day to day activities, and get to mentor and work with students, and then also learn more about unsupervised learning and applying sure. it to the business. That's very cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Very cool. Uh, well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. <laughs> yeah. It's time to read the results of an Amazon machine learning algorithm that I wrote that predicts how funny this joke is going to be. Oh. <laughs> and the result? 
No input defined exception. Nice. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> we need data first. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, sorry. There's no data. Okay. It's a, uh, actually time to give away a D experience subscription from Dev Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. And you can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. But learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Frederick Fall. Congratulations, Frederick. Yes. Golf clap for you, Golf sir. Golf clap for you. <laughs> Frederick just won the D Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club. But you do have to sign up to win. And uh, we also like to ask our guests, Keisha, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Very good question. Hmm. So, my dream for Sam. Okay is to have a drone. <laughs> oh my. Wow. Good <laughs> Serve idea. As the camera. Right. For Sam. Yeah. And I just imagine the drone just send it out for a ride. Yeah. 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 And the drone is taking pictures. So I would definitely buy a state of the art drone. Yeah. That is a great idea. Something yeah. like a DJI Phantom 4. E oh like, yeah. It's a few thousand yeah. bucks beefy. Yeah. Mm. You know what we haven't done yet in drones is have them be able to go change their own batteries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to just to go fly to yeah. like 25% power and mm. then go back, land somewhere where they can drop a battery, pick up a new battery, go yeah. again. Yeah, it's that whole, it, what happens after you eject the battery problem. Yeah. Right? <laughs> You're going to have to have at least some power in there to put the new battery in. Yeah, some I, mechanism. I do remember hearing a story about um, this guy who worked for the military, I think, and then he got off on his own and he built this super high-flying spy plane camera that had ridiculous resolution and it was, flew up so high that you couldn't see it. You couldn't oh, hear wow. it. Wow. And it went over, I think it was in Chicago. I think it went around Chicago. Oh, I have to Google that. Yeah. And, and it was recording all the time and kept about an hour's worth of, of camera shots recorded. And then whenever there was a crime, they would find it and then you could zoom, you know, scroll back the, right. the recording to see right. where the cars came from, that where the cool. house is, and then they yeah. would use it and go bust the people that committed the crime <laughs> I love right stuff like away. that. 
It was yeah, awesome. That is awesome. But you know, you could do the sort same sort of thing with the drone. Mm-hmm. So as far as well, it doesn't, it sounds get. like what the military does with their predator drones, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Flying basically out of sight, although sometimes you can hear them. Yeah. Uh, they but just, it's also they, almost, just, almost. they just throw the missile in it as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost an unfair advantage, though. Yeah. And then, of course, the privacy concerns. Yeah, there so, are a lot of privacy concerns. Talk about moral dilemma. Yeah, it's like there's you know, a lot of good conversations. like crazy on in on catching criminals, especially yeah. you know murders and stuff. It's yeah, like, but you're, we have cameras all throughout our cities anyway. Right. You know, the, right. it's not that we're not on camera. That's true. It's what happens with the data. Yeah. That's true. So, yeah. you know, the idea that we're collecting the stuff but not using it unless there's a case to be had. Mm. You know, I don't want to go so far as like you require a judge's order, but it's along those lines of mm. we know that an event has happened in this location. Mm. Now we look at the data. Right. Mm. And I've heard of some countries that they've actually weaponized drones Mm -hmm. and so when you think about that and you couple that with computer vision and machine learning you'll eventually if we don't today you'll have drones that they're able to make decisions on their own yeah without human input i, I saw that video too <laughs> oh you terrifying. saw that oh yeah i mean it's like it's <laughs> yeah. where we're headed if yeah. we're not there already yeah. yeah well and it's been a conscious uh certainly in the, in the u.s military circle, circles they've been keeping a human in the loop mm. but the machine's able to get to a point where i think that's a target mm. you know and, and so forth there's still somebody in the end going yeah okay mm. prosecute that yeah. Uh, which I mean, is great terminology for hiding the fact that you're killing someone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't yeah. want to go there. Yeah. Um, I, we, I mean, I'm keen on stuff like Sam, just this idea of uh, giving a police officer a chance to be in the right place at the right time. Right. Yeah. Or even, a, yeah, alerting him. Yeah. Right. Just, this is where you need to go. There's yeah. something yeah. that doesn't look too right areas. going on. Yeah. yeah. The things yeah. are going on. And uh, mm-hmm. certainly with the events in Las Vegas, we talked to Tim Huckabee about this, mm-hmm. where they're talking mm-hmm. about those the that cameras that also count crowds but would show odd behavior okay you know you think about casinos they have cameras everywhere all the right, time right. but they're watching for people trying to cheat right, at, right. Uh, in the casino not right. keeping track of the fact that this person has carried a large duffel bag up into the elevator yeah. a dozen times right, right. And, right. If, and if the software could get to a point mm-hmm. where it's saying you should look at this. Right. Yeah. You know, just right. to do the collation so that you can say, hey, here's over a span of days, the same person doing the same thing over and over again. This is odd. Right. And maybe probable cause for it. Let's go take a peek in that room. Right. Right. It's just, for me, it's a very exciting time to be in technology. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to jump back to the conversation around unsupervised learning because it's interesting when you talk about those buckets, mm-hmm. that the buckets were jobs that they were student, professional, and so forth. Like, we talk about bias. When you, in theory, you're talking about an unsupervised system where it has no bias. Would it bucket to jobs? Would it bucket to income level? Mm. Would it bucket to ethnicity? Like, what are the stratifications? And and then we get into the risk of bias and those sort of effects. Like, how do we control that in an unsupervised learning scenario? Right. Mm. That is a very good question. Mm. I mean, part That's of me says, question. let's not collect the ethnicity data. Right. The best if way to steep there, that from showing up is it's yeah. not there. Yeah. Right. Right. So even in an unsupervised scenario, you're still deciding what data to feed the right. system. Right. So That would be a good way to control it. I'm trying to think if there's any other way. It's just, you know, we yeah. accept the idea that you're going to bucket into to, to right. work role. Right. 
And, right. I, and, and the whole point with an unsupervised system is it's going to bucket in a way you haven't thought of before. Exactly. You know? Exactly. That it'll it'll exactly. come up unlikely. Right. And, and I just wonder what that would be. And you're afraid to exclude any data because you never know what the correlation might actually mm. be. Mm. Yeah. So it's an interesting challenge. It is a very interesting challenge. And just bias in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not just racial bias. It's age bias sure. and gender bias. And yeah. how do you, especially when we talk about predictive policing and machine learning, how do we truly create models that are fair Mm. And don't have some level of bias. That's right. a it's a great challenge. And there was an argument yeah. in the beginning of profiling that said this was a way to optimize. Right. It just became an it became evident that it was an unfair way. Right. That it was again a self fulfilling prophecy. You, right. You you know the, a police officer has a certain level of discretion of of identifying crime, and right. when that bias creeps in, you're un, uh, being unreasonable. Right. You know it's easy easy to have that happen. I think it's. It, 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 and I'm just fascinated by the prospect of could the machine do a better job? It'd probably do a consistent job. Definitely a consistent job. Yeah. Consistently bad. Yeah. <laughs> it just depends on how the developer trained that system yeah. and how it's coded. Um, with predictive policing, there was an article that Stanford released. I believe it's called Artificial Intelligence and Life in 2030. Mm-hmm. But it just says, like, in the next 15 years, we will heavily rely mm. upon predictive policing. Wow. And so that's good and that's bad because when I think about it, how, like, what are these models looking at right. when mm-hmm. it predicts crime? It's like a black box. Yeah. yeah no one... I don't know. Yeah. You're getting into the, the big issue around deep learning that folks are talking about. Most of the machine learning models, and we've talked to Seth about this mm-hmm. and others, mm-hmm. they're mathematical. You right. can decompose them in a way to show this is why this model came to this conclusion. Right. Mm-hmm. But these deep learning models, they're opaque. Yeah. It's really hard to understand yeah. why they've come to the conclusions that they've come and, to. Right. And even more importantly, even harder to to use once we once we know especially we give them any kind of autonomy or you know right. power to make decisions right. I, I, i'm thinking of the the what was it the the wall street crash that happened in 20 minutes like billions flash of, crash the yeah. flash crash right that all happened because of automated systems automated that, trading yeah automated trading and nobody knows why yeah. right they don't know what right. happened yeah yeah, then so we're building stuff that we don't even understand. Yeah. Right. Well, you can't you can't look at a log file. You can look yeah. at what happened, but the decision making process because of the way these neural networks yeah. is really and I have been reading some interesting papers around they're coming up with mechanisms to instrument the neural net so that you can derive okay. some consistency and behaviors. Then that'll slow it. them down for sure. Well, without a doubt. But you know, one thing we've got is more compute. Yeah. The bigger right. thing here is how are we as a society going to be comfortable in trusting decision-making right. capabilities mm. right. until we can present it to a judge? This is why it made this decision. Right. right. Like I think right. it's I think it's a reasonable request. Absolutely right. reasonable. I do too. And necessary. But, and I, but even right. when you take the decision-making ability off the machine's hands, mm-hmm. when you've got software that makes it predictive that says this is likely a crime. Mm. I don't know how many people are even going to question it. Mm. Like, right. even though we're absolutely choosing to act, when we present a piece of technology that has derived a decision, 
you know, effectively the decision's still made. Well, and, you know, what you're talking about in predictive policing just diverts the attention of the authorities to the right place at the right time. It's not like it's going to automatically send out a drone and uh, <laughs> shoot the, somebody right. who they know. Not right yet. <laughs> But you know what, what, if it, what if the answer was if tase I everybody? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tase everybody. Tase everybody, and we'll sort it out later. Everybody, do the floppy chicken. <laughs> we'll sort it out in a minute. Do the floppy chick fillet. Well, you know, the scary thing if you ever watch a tasing hit is they drop so hard, like people get injured in the fall. Yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. Irrespective of the fact that you just had a whole bunch of electricity pumped through your body, which right. is not good. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I'm being silly. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. please don't do that. Like, don't do that. That's not a good idea. But that's, again, like, how many times have we written software that provides information to people that they simply take as gospel and mm. start to act? Mm. And we have made a mistake. Right. There always needs to be some level of human involvement. Right. Mm especially with machine learning. So, for example, outside of predictive policing, it's also used in making, like, loan decisions. So, Mm -hmm. if you apply for a car loan or a home loan, there may be a machine learning program running in the background that says either yes or no. And so, if it says no, that shouldn't be the final answer. Mm -hmm. A human should come in and look at it more and say, well, you know, even though the model says no, X, Y, Z, this person really should, you know, get the loan. Right. So, we just always have to have that human, that level of human interaction. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I do see that you want automation to solve the easy cases. Right, mm. the, right, where, right. The, the standard red flags of there's just no way we can lend you money. Or right. the standard, yeah, you're probably fine. It's yeah. the gray area where you maybe want a human's right. discretion. Definitely. Uh, and it, But, I, so, the, you know, when you could take... The, you know, using Pareto's law, take 80% of that workload off in automation and leave the 20% that is harder. Yeah. Right. That, that needs right. more judgment for right. one way or another. And I would hope that in the case of policing, there's always more judgment. I would hope so. Yeah, me too. But yeah. it's, it is challenging. Uh, let's, is there anything, uh, there's lots of stuff here, it, just in your uh, bio that we could talk about, but uh, any particularly interesting stories come out of your work with the NSA? Well, does it stand for no security anymore? Well, <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk about that now. Yeah, I'm just yeah, joking. It's probably fair. <laughs> Generally speaking, with those three letter agencies, I do not want to, to go you. to jail. Yeah. I do not want to die. So, yeah. we're going to leave that alone. We're just going to walk on right on past. It was one. a fun place to work, though. I can yeah, say that. that. It was yeah, a I've, lot I've of fun. I've heard stories that just like a really brilliant group. Yeah, mm. it was a lot of fun. That's where I started my career. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. And uh, yeah, an interesting place to end up. Uh, <laughs> well, they were also like they had we, back in the eighties and stuff. The first OLAP technologies that we saw in the world, these are original data analytics tools. Mm-hmm. That's where they came from. Mm-hmm. The, the, the rock stars in that space. When I first got involved, they were all ex NSA guys. Huh. So they they made companies around it and made yeah. product around it. Yeah, sold them and grew them. So it makes I've often thought of. Those are the places that are trying the next level stuff that right. will eventually that, come out exactly. into the that's in, how it works into the consumer space, that's how it yeah, works into commercial space. That is how it works. So, yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, so challenge. pretty much, I'll be able to remote into any desktop that I want to, and uh, just add, without their permission. No, I'm just kidding. Who <laughs> would do that? Because I know nothing. I'm perfectly happy to make some <laughs> guesses, but I'm, I would bet if there's actually a working quantum computer anywhere. 
it's at the, the NSA, NSA yeah. you know, and it's working on cryptographic cracking. Yeah. You know, that to me would make perfect sense. It's in their Ballywick. Right. They're the ones with the outrageous budgets. Right. And yeah. the companies that you look at that are experimenting in this space are generally running into money constraints. And mm-hmm. these guys are not ones that have that. So it's yeah. like, if it's solvable with the brute force of many dollars, mm. they have solved it. Yeah. So there's, a, there's a, a language Microsoft came out with that's some sort of quantum. Yeah, because they're getting closer to their own machine, so they're starting to come up with toolkits to be able to experiment with quantum programming models. That's the question I want wow. to ask you, Keisha. Um, speaking of toolkits, that triggered it. Uh, what kind of tools do you use to clean data before you, uh, you know, send it up to your ML algorithms? So specifically for Sam... I did that myself. Really? Yeah. So it was a very manual and very time-consuming process. Wow. And really, in building SAM, that was the most tedious piece sure. of it, just yeah. getting the data um, in you a say format. manual, how manual are we talking? You popped it up in Excel and edited rows and columns? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, like, with the crime data, I wanted to split out the date. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to find patterns yeah. um, with certain months, yeah. certain days of the week. And mm-hmm. so I had to manually split that out. Now, uh, there may be a, a better way of, a, a, of doing it, it yeah. but it was really my first um, learning experience. And wow. so I enjoyed it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I do think it gives you a level of intimacy with the data. You oh, know, I definitely sure. understood we, the we data. We did a show with, uh, <laughs> yeah. with Rob Connery earlier in the week, and uh, he, he did a book around doing data analytics with Postgres. And a part of that whole conversation was he was cleaning up NASA data. Oh. You know, and that same sort of, mm. but the process of doing that helped focus in on how, what these values actually mean, how right. they work, what mm. a good value or a bad value, you know. Right. I, I, right. We always, whenever we talk to folks who are dealing with data science, they're like, hey, 80% of the time is messing around with this data. Oh, yeah. yeah. Part of it's oh, just yeah. like, wow, is our data that crappy? Yeah. Or is, <laughs> yes, or is it, it is. actually, you kind of <laughs> need to get to know it. Yeah, you definitely have to get to know it. Like for me, after creating Sam, I totally understand what crime looks like in the state of Georgia. There are certain patterns like July and August, highest crime. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Because being that hot makes people crazy? You stole my line. (laughs) That is exactly what I say. It is hot land after all, right? And then there are certain counties like stay away from Fulton County. Oh, my. It's like most of the crime happens in Fulton County. Wow. And then you come down to the county where I live, Fayette County, it's like the least amount of crime. I'm like, yay, I picked a great place (laughs) to raise a family. You you learn that data after you live there. So that worked out well. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk to us about particularly before we wrap up? Well, I will definitely give a plug to Technovation. Okay. So it is a global computer programming competition for girls and I lead the Georgia chapter. And so we target middle school and high school girls and Mm. we teach them about computer programming cool so it's just really for me because i was introduced to computer science so early on it was like a no-brainer when i was getting ready to go to college and so that's really what i'm trying to do just to expose girls to what's possible really help to increase the diversity in technology Mm. and so it's an awesome competition it's all free for the girls Mm. we really live based on like sponsorship and so we take them through the whole process of 
trying to solve a problem in their local community by building a mobile app. So we talk them through prototyping, we build a prototype, and then building a system, and then testing, and then at the end, pitching your app and your business plan to a panel of judges. And so the winning team walks away with a cash prize. So can you imagine being in high school and you have $25,000 cash prize? So it's, it's an awesome program. It's worldwide and so i just want to put a plug out there if we're looking we're always looking for mentors Mm -hmm. to help work with the girls and then we're also we're always looking for girls who want to learn more about computers awesome and you know i think back to the show we did with jennifer wadala we were talking about sort of breaking through the social stigma that's keeping girls away from technology right and because you got in so early like you weren't at the social stigma level that concern when you already knew it by the time you even could consider the social aspects of computing, it was part of your life. Right. It was already there. Right. It, it, it begs the question, like, shouldn't we just be introducing this earlier? We should. You know, yeah, we more should. of that. Definitely. We, we should. That, that this is an elementary school thing. Right. And it, uh, I'm very excited now. I have three children, 16-year-old boy, 14-year-old boy, and a 10-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my 16-year-old, he's in 11th grade, and he's actually learning Java wow, in great. high school. So mm-hmm. he's always texting me, how do I do this in Java? How do I do that? <laughs> and I'm like, I wish I had something yeah, like yeah. that um, when I was growing up mm-hmm. because like Java in high school, really? Yeah. That's amazing. Production yeah. languages. I love it. Yeah. 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 My next door neighbor uh, has a kid, and he's uh, he was about 10 when I first met him, and he was taking Java in school that is 10. amazing yeah. Yeah. that's amazing yeah, yeah. so I he, he would come over and play with my hololens <laughs> all the time yeah. all the time yeah. yeah coolest neighbor award that's you definitely all right. well thank you so much for being here my and pleasure thank you for having me fascinating what you're doing and check in with us from time to time definitely i will thank you so much for having me okay a lot of fun and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the MCC. Yes, I'm a dog.